Hey, Elephants Stratosphere, Pilates Stratosphere, nice to have you with us. And uh, today, Heath and I are going to discuss time management. Sounds like a boring topic, but really, I don't know, maybe we could jazz it up a bit and say, like, how to give yourself an extra 10 hours a week. Um, is that a bit sexier? Yeah. Makes your week longer. Mm. How do we, or how to free up, how, right, how about, how to, how to free up 10 hours a week? Yeah. How does that sound? Yep. How to make, how to create 10 hours a week. Yep. Yeah. How to create 10 hours a week of free time, extra time. I mean, who wouldn't want extra time? I mean, is anyone out there thinking, Gee, I've just got too much time on my hands. I don't know what to do with all this time I've got. <laughs> I don't think any of our listeners are thinking. That. Not your average working Pilates instructor anyway. No. So I think it's 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 the opposite. That's been my experience. Uh, I know it's been your experience. I know it's the experience of a lot of people I've talked to. In fact, I can't ever think of talking to someone for whom that's not a problem. But you know what comes to mind? I don't know if you remember this. There was an, a, a commercial that I remember on the television. Do you remember that thing, the television, um, before streaming? And it was an advertisement for a bank, and it was a – it was like a teenage kid lying in bed with the daylight coming in through the curtains with the, but the blinds drawn, just clearly just sleeping through the day. And it said in, in 15 years' time, he won't have enough time. Yeah. And I, I think of that quite frequently. It's like yeah. I do remember times in my life where I was like, yeah, I don't know what I'm going to do today. Yeah. Now I'm like, <laughs> yeah, I know exactly what I'm doing today and yeah. tomorrow. Yeah. And the next – 5,000 days. Yeah. Um, so, you know, so how are we qualified to talk about this? Well, you know, neither of us is, you know, um, purports to be, to have this all sorted. <laughs> but, I mean, if I could have 30 hours in a day, I, I would. Um, or, but uh, I think we've both uh, found some kind of success in terms of achieving the things that we've wanted to achieve and, you know, growing in the directions that we want to grow in. Uh, so, and spending time on the things that are important to us, I guess, is probably even a, a better way of saying that. You know, like I said, we're not perfect. We don't profess to have all the answers, but I think there are a bunch of things that have worked for, uh, as we're talking off air, that have worked for each of us. And I think they're basically the same things. Um, and yeah, so... Let's let's hit those topics. Uh, I think the first big thing, you know, so so basically, I hear a lot of people say, uh, when I say people, I mean Pilates instructors, because I don't know anyone basically who's not a Pilates instructor. Um, but so I hear a lot of people say, you know, they don't have time, they don't have enough time uh, to, you know, basically do almost all of the things they want to do. So, like, I, I wish I could spend more time you know, preparing for each client, um, you know, researching or, you know, writing program or, you know, whatever. I wish I could spend more time following up with my clients. Um, uh, I wish I could spend more time with my family. I wish I could spend more time on my own exercise and, and health. I wish I could spend more time working on my business instead of in my business. I wish I could spend more time self-educating and studying and learning, becoming better at my craft. So, you know, I think these are pretty common things uh, and it's weird that, or I guess it's paradoxical that like we don't have 
you know, we all feel, or just about all of us feel that we just about don't have enough time to do just about all of the things that we want to do. <laughs> so it's like, well, where the heck does the time go if we don't, you know, if we're not spending enough time with our clients or on our business or with our family or with our pets or on our exercise or on our study or, you know, or, or, or it's like, well, where the fuck are we spending our time? <laughs> and, and, and what is the solution? Is there, you know, is there a solution? How do we find balance? Um, yeah. Well, my first thought from what you've just said is the intro is, you know, the, 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 the exclamation that I wish I had more time, which I've, I've, I've thought it and said it however many times as probably most people. But my reflection on that is that the solution is not uh, quantitative. Like it's the, having more time wouldn't be the solution because if you had an extra 10 hours a week, if you actually could add hours – you'd be just as busy doing all of the things that you're busy doing now, right? So it's more about accepting the finite nature of your time and letting the constraint of the time you've got lead the process by which you make decisions about what you do. Uh, all right. So this is the notion of uh, work expanding to fill the time allocated to it, or otherwise known as the handbag problem. So basically, however big your handbag is, it'll always be bulging and over full. And I'd see it as really the smoothie problem because uh, I have a little smoothie that I make for breakfast, which is, I don't know if if, you, if that's a term that translates outside Australia, but basically... Blended food? Yeah, I put in some, <laughs> I put in some yeah. frozen spinach and some frozen berries and some protein powder and some skim milk and some banana and whack the lid on and blend it all up. And um, here's the thing. I always think, oh, I'll just put in a couple more blueberries, maybe just one more cube of, you know, spinach and oh, just maybe a slightly bigger banana and a little bit more milk. And, and you know, before you know it, like it's bulging at the top. And then you think, ah, oh, damn, my blooming smoothies are always over four. I'll get a bigger jug. So you get a bigger jug and guess what? You go, oh, awesome, got a bigger jug. Now I can put in a few extra berries. You know, and a few, and you know, three seconds later, it's bulging at the top. And so, this is basically the problem of, yeah, work or handbag contents or, you know, frozen fruits always expand to fill the space or time allocated for them. So, if we had 30 hours a day, same principle with saving, right? Take the money out early rather than leave it in the account because you just spend it if it's in the account. Right. Yeah, so if we had 30 hours, you know, we try and fit 30 hours worth of stuff into a 24-hour day. But if we had a 30-hour day, we'd just try and fit 40 hours of stuff into it. Yeah, that, that's what I was, yeah. yeah. So, all right, so I, I guess I tend to agree with that. Although, when I do travel uh, back from the US to Australia, so I, you know, fairly semi-regularly, I go to the US. And when I travel back, there's a 18-hour 16 hour time difference depending on time of year. And so when you travel back, you, if you get a night flight, you hop on at LAX at like 10 in the evening, fly for 15 hours, and then arrive in Australia at like six in the morning. You know, and if you do the math, there's, it's, there's like, it's not 15 hours between 10 in the evening and six in the morning. <laughs> it's like eight hours. So you've got this 15 hour flight, and then you arrive and only, you know, I, you know maybe I'm not doing the math right, but basically, you end up getting extra time is the point, right? So you can you can you can get on the plane, have this marvelous like twelve hour sleep, and then wake you wake up and only six hours has passed. You know? And I like when I have that experience, I'm like, oh, this is how this is life. You know, this is how I would like to live. You know? <laughs> Just cross the dateline every night. 
Yeah, like have like have your you know nineteen hours of of waking, right, and then go to bed, sleep twelve hours, and wake up and do it again. You know, but then of course that adds up to more than twenty four hours. But yeah, so I guess, but I guess maybe the <laughs> the point is that it's that's a once a quarter phenomena for me, and so if that was every day, I would just add in more shit into my day and so it would <laughs> just expand to fill the available space i go oh you know instead of sleeping 12 hours i could sleep 10 hours eight hours six hours four hours three hours you know i just do more shit so hmm. yeah i'm with you okay which that well that, what that leads us to then is that the conversation is not about damn it's a pity we can't have more hours but w- what do you do to more effectively use the hours you've got in a way that's meaningful for you Right, and what does it mean to use your hours more effectively? I guess is is a is is the first question. I think now I don't know where you stand on this. I can guess, but I I don't I don't have to guess. You can tell me in a second. But um, the notion of work life balance shits me. I don't think it's a real thing. I think um, well, I don't know. Is it a real thing? Maybe it's a real thing, but I think it's. I think the where the fallacy I think lies in that notion of work-life balance for me is that it's inherently a desirable thing or that there is some, you know, balance implies there's an equal amount on both sides of the equation. You know, you've got, you know, three units of work and three units of life and they, you know, they, they equate each other out. Whereas actually the, the, the balance that I've found is like 99 units of work and you know, one unit of life, and I'm perfectly happy <laughs> with that. And so I don't, I don't, I think that the notion that we quote should, you know, have some kind of work life balance, it's like, well, if you want it, great. But I don't think anyone, I don't think you should feel that you should have some kind of work life balance. And if, if work's your guilty pleasure, it's like, well, why be guilty about it? Mm. Enjoy mm. it. Where do you sit? Oh, yeah. I, I feel like it's one of those things I've, heard it that often i don't even think about it that much it's sort of like an you know a cultural aphorism that you know i need to work on my work-life balance why would someone say that well something's out of whack for them but that's not the same thing as saying as there's no there's no universal goldilocks balance of as you say equal amounts of work and life um i've lived as a so i spent a long time working for the education department in Victoria where I had, you know, I had very clear start and stop times that I had to be at work. I had prescribed holidays. I couldn't really take holidays that weren't the school holidays, which is slightly different again to just a normal job where you can apply for leave. It's actually almost basically impossible to take leave other than the school holidays. Um, And then I've also lived a life as a small business owner where that was that couldn't have been more different and now i live a life that combines being a small business owner and having a job for an organization which is breathe education um there's absolutely no doubt that i work more inverted commas work more now than i've ever worked before i probably do 80 hour weeks but i love it i like i wouldn't have it any other way I, I, and why do i love it it's meaningful like the work i'm doing resonates with me on a variety of in a variety of ways i feel it's meaningful 
for the students that I work with. I love the people that I work with. I feel like the work we do as an organization is important. I feel the same way about the studio that I run. So I, I feel like we do good work for good people that makes me feel good to be part of. And then the outcomes of all of that work, which is essentially in the, in the family domain, is it allows me to support my family to grow into their lives. And so all of that just resonates for me as meaning and I don't think about the time. Every now and again I hit a wall and sleep for 18 hours and I realised that I was really tired and I might have pushed a bit far physically or mentally or both. But then that's me redressing the balance, right? Like I take a break right. and I have a big sleep and I come up fresh and I'm like, fuck it, let's keep going. Like what's the next thing? And every now and again I probably over overdo it and could have taken a break a bit sooner and by break that would just be a few days clear but break is also uh you break your break is where you find it too right like phys i know you have a really strict physical exercise routine and i have a similarly strict but more dependent on other people routine and if i don't address that i get out of whack but that's not I suppose that's I mean that's life, but it's not certainly not sitting back on an armchair. Like when I go to jujitsu and work out, I'm working really hard. It's, you know, it's not. I guess that's what I'm working around to. For me, when you say work-life balance, I feel like okay, you've got when you're working, things are hard, and then you're sitting on an armchair under a palm tree, just thinking of pina colada, and that that's universally applicable to all people. But I know the older I get, the I'm pretty happy when I'm either sweating or working or sleeping. And they're, they're yeah. kind of the three dimensions. You know what? I feel um, maybe I'm deficient in some essential nutrient or psychological you know, capacity or something, but I just find sleep really boring. Like, like a waste of time. Well, you know, I know it's important. You know, I've read all the literature. I know how important sleep is. And so I'd go to bed in time to get my seven hours and, you know, like that's my routine. But, oh, it's so boring. Like I wake up, I'm like, oh, can I get up yet? It's, you know, I'm like, oh, I've got to lie here another two hours. So I'll go back to sleep, you know. <laughs> um, so if someone could give me a, some kind of you know, magic wand that would mean I didn't have to sleep ever, I'd be like, oh, that'd be awesome. Because um, sleep's, yeah, I reckon it's boring. You know, I, I like enough than a nap on the sofa as much as the next person. But. Yeah, but sleep, sleep. But you're not really there for it, right? Like it's – Yeah, like, but it's like you could be up and doing stuff. Yeah, know? yeah. Like, well, that's what I heard in you. Like so it's not that sleep's boring. It's that you're not doing the stuff you're excited about. Yeah, there's so much but, cool stuff to do. It's like, yeah, you know. Um, so, all right. So I think we both agree that work-life balance is a – I think it's a – there's – there's a there's a it's a flawed concept in that's like it, the assumption is that there is such a thing. <laughs> yeah, sorry. One of the I'm going to go back. Sorry, but one of the things I wanted to say was what I, my recollection of when I worked in education, especially in the last few years, where I was feeling like I needed a change. Then I started to feel like like I started to resonate with the idea of holidays were really important. It was, but when I look back, it was what I really needed was to change what I was doing with my work time. Yeah, like I didn't yeah. feel. And resonant with the work time. So then it was like, yeah, I need more holidays because I need a break from work. Right. And Natalie Wilson and I touched on this uh, when we talked about burnout. 
which the the and I think this gets up to you know like I see a lot of like you know the the phrase self care used a lot at the moment, uh, and I you know self care I think uh, depending on how you define it is you know, super important, and you know for me self care looks like getting enough exercise and eating well and you know making sure I get enough sleep on a regular basis, and there are one or two other components to that like spending time with people I care about and you know, doing work that's meaningful and stuff. But like, uh, yeah, so I think like, yes, you know, depending on how you define it, self-care is like crucial uh, for human flourishing and even just health. But I think that how us, like some people, I think, use the term self-care to mean like basically what you said, like sitting on a beach with a pina colada or slash, you know, at the day spa slash, you know, whatever. And it's like nothing against day spas or pina coladas, like, if you like that, you know, go for gold. But I guess the notion that in a day, uh, self-care is something you do to escape from the grind. It's like, well, why do the grind? Why not do something that, that sparks you and makes you, you know, excited and, and, and passionate. It's like, why, like if I was sitting on a beach with a pina colada, I would be like, fuck, it's so boring here. When can I get back to doing the fun stuff that I do every day, like working out and teaching like, Pilates instructors and you're running a business like those, that's the fun stuff. You know, if mm. I could take a holiday, I'd like to take a holiday doing those things. Mm. You know, <laughs> like, mm. So I think, yeah, the, I think the notion of self-care as something you do to recover from, yeah, I mean, I think, you know, I, I guess I'm, I'm not sure if I'm contradicting myself, but I think recovery is important, but. One, one counterpoint to that is that, you know, well, we're in a privileged, you're in a privileged position where you get to do something that you enjoy, you know, oh, you're, yeah. you're lucky, you know, you, you live in a society that's allowed you to explore lots of things with low to minimal, minimal to zero risk of death by fault kind of thing. Like that's a counterpoint to it. Um, but if we're, to, I mean, you know, so I'm just trying to take, think of the position of someone's like, well, I'm stuck in this job. I've got these responsibilities. I, I, I don't feel passionate about my work, but I have to go to work. Yeah. Well, I, I mean, I, I 100% agree. I am so fucking lucky to be, you know, born when and where I was and to you know, have met the people I've met and to have fallen into the lucky situation that I'm in. Uh, so 100%. And if I was, you know, if, if our listeners were, you know, living in a tent city in Mumbai, well, you know, I I wouldn't be saying like, oh, you know, don't worry about, <laughs> you know, I wouldn't be having this conversation. But our listeners, I think, are, you know, Pilates instructors. Mm-hmm. And like, I don't think many people become Pilates instructors because it's like, oh, that's the job I had to settle for. I really wanted to, you know, work as a server in a restaurant, but, you know, done it, I couldn't make it. So I had to settle for being a Pilates instructor. It's like, Ab- Absolutely. It's, it's the other end of the spectrum, right? People aspire to generate time in their life in order to become it. And, right, right, yeah. which, which is not to say that once you've been doing it for a bit, it sometimes doesn't start to feel like hard work and drudgery and being locked into this thing that you've created that's like, oh, shit, I've created a monster and now I can't <laughs> I can't escape and I've got to pay the bills and I've got to make payroll and I've got to see all those clients I don't necessarily enjoy spending time with because they're paying me money. And it's like, yeah, so not to say that you can't feel trapped or you know, pinned down by it. But I think that's, 
I, I really do think, uh, and you know, with with love and compassion, if you're listening in, that's you right now. That's a solvable situation for most of us. Yep, I agreed. Um, so, all right, so so let's, let's let's solve it. Yeah, let's solve it. So, well, it's really easy to solve. Well, no, is it easy? It's very simple to solve. Simple, but not easy. Mm. Hey, that sounds mm. familiar. Mm. Mm. Uh, so, well, here's my um, here's 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 my magic recipe to solve that problem. If you if you because I've I've been there uh, a few times in my life uh, where I was like, oh, I've got a bunch of clients. Not all my clients. I've always loved you know most of my clients, but there's always you know that those few clients that are like, oh, so and so's on the roster today. You know, don't have to go in and see that person again. I roll. You know, the people that don't energize you. Um, and you know they're probably lovely people, but it's just not a not a character um, fit. Yeah. Um, uh, and then also maybe you love all your clients, but you're just not you're working like crazy, but you're not getting any not getting enough money. Like you have to work all of the hours, you know, just to keep one nostril above water, you know. And and you start to feel resentful because of that because you you know you you go to bed at midnight and wake up at 5 a.m. to do it all over again. And it's for what, you know, um, or, uh, maybe you have, you know, clients that you love working with, but they, you end up, you know, bending over way too far backwards for them to do, you know, sessions at weird and wonderful hours of the, the day or night or weekend or whatever, because quote, that's the only thing that that suits them or that they can come to or, you know, whatever. So you end up making special arrangements with special people that you, then you're muttering under your breath or telling your kids, oh, sorry, honey, I can't read you bedtime story tonight because I've got to do a session with this client <laughs> at 10 p.m. or whatever. <laughs> so, yeah, so in all of those situations, I think uh, the, the solution is is simple, not, not necessarily easy, but it's like, well, say no, fire your bottom 10% of your clients and put your prices up. Problem solved. So anyway, good talk. <laughs> <laughs> no, uh, no, I don't think we're done yet. But uh, yeah, what are your thoughts? Well, I think that's that speaks to it speaks to the I'm trying to it, it speaks to the work dimension of the problem. So if you're the yeah. Pilates instructor or the business owner who doesn't have enough time, then what you've said is the simple but not easy recipe for solving what's happening at work. You know, you need to learn to say no, which when you double click on that doesn't mean it means maybe saying no to some clients, it means saying no to some work, which might mean delegating your work to someone who's better at it than you or cheaper at it than you. You know, there's a whole bunch of stuff, strategies within that, which is business management strategies. But even if you're even if you're not a business owner, like it might be, you know, many instructors work at multiple studios. Yeah. Yeah. And it might be saying no, saying no to the 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 two or three studios that you enjoy the least and asking the other ones if you can double or triple your hours there. Absolutely. So so just to be clear, I I yeah, yeah, sorry. So I, if, in this industry, in more and more with social, the social medias, everyone's a business, right? So if, if you're out there listening and you think, oh, I don't run a business, sorry, yes, you do. Like 
you know, it's just that you don't have a bricks and mortar studio or you haven't got staff of your own yet, but you're still a business. Like that's just the, the reality of it. You don't and, have a job. And if you, you work, are a business. if you work at someone else's studio, your customer is the studio owner. So then if you've got five customers, five studios and two of them, I don't know, you've got to drive 25 minutes to teach two classes of 45 minutes. So it's a four hour round trip for 90 minutes of work. You either need to be paid enough to make that worthwhile, or you need to look for somewhere closer to home. You know, yeah. and that then you create yourself two hours of work, two yeah. hours of time. Yeah. So, all right. So, I think you know, I, I don't necessarily want to you know triple click on all of these things and go, okay, what are the seven strategies to have that conversation with your bottom ten percent of clients and fire them, or what you know, how do you put your prices up, you know, etc. Let's not let's not sort of go into the necessarily into the nitty gritty of all that because this would become a very long conversation if we did that. But uh, I think uh, you know, I, I I said that you know probably with a, quite a bit of a kind of a tongue in cheek slash facetious tone before, but uh, genuinely that is my experience and the advice that I've given to a lot of people that. When they, when it's been followed, has resulted in success, is say no, fire the bottom ten percent of your clients, and put your prices up, and that solves an awful lot of problems. Because all of a sudden, when you fire those ten percent of clients that you roll your eyes when you see them on the roster, it's like all of a sudden you don't have that experience anymore. Like every client is someone you want to work with. Uh, when you say no to people, no, I can't do that eight pm session. You know, no, I can't do that 5 a.m. session. No, I'm not going to change a session, you know, 15 minutes before we start, you know. Like, what happens is you have a couple of awkward conversations where people are really surprised because it's like, well, you did it the last 20 times I asked you to do it. So why are you saying no now? But pretty soon, like after like one week, people get used, you know, like people just accept the fact that the answer is no and they don't, they stop asking, you know. And so you stop having that problem. And then when you put your prices up, all of a sudden, you either do the same amount of work for a lot more money or you get the same amount of money for a lot less work, either, you know, as you as you choose. So, uh, you know, that really solves a lot of problems because when you're getting paid more, you suddenly feel like when you look at that client walking the door, you don't think, oh, you bastard, you're here to steal an hour of my life, you know, for $12. Um, you think, oh, yes, here's my meal ticket. This person is... You're going to pay me royally for my services and uh, I'm going to be rich after this session. So, you know, you feel good about that. You feel like it's a fair exchange of value and that you're being, you know, remunerated, you know, according to, you know, like you value the money more than you value the time, basically. So, all right. So let's not give a lesson on how to do that, but I think those are really, really important things. So I think uh, let's talk about prioritizing or slash the 80 20 you know principle or slash like the flip side of that coin is letting shit slide you know the it is the the dirty little secret of time management don't do most of it <laughs> yeah 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 let most of it go to hell in a handbasket um let the fires burn um, there's there's a wonderful story in a book. Uh, it's a podcast actually uh, called Masters of Scale by Blair. Can't remember his surname, but anyway, he uh, is the founder of LinkedIn. 
look it up, just podcast masters of scale. I might have messed with his name, but um, basically tells this one story of, oh, I can't remember if it was Twitter or PayPal or one of those like massive Silicon Valley startup startups in the early days when they were scaling. Uh, and they put, uh, they found that they basically were having spent too much time on customer service. So they put a, a, they just stopped doing customer service. They took all like contact us things off their website. So there's literally no way you can contact them. And they put a, they turned up, they, they disconnected all their phones and they put a, 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 like a sign up on the door that said, we're not home, go away. We don't, you give service. And they just let the fires burn. Right. And so they, they had, you know, customers canceling in droves because they couldn't get customer service, but they had, because they weren't serving people, they had, they had all their attention on building a better product and signing up more people. So yes, they had customers canceling in droves, but the, they were growing exponentially because they were just letting the customer service go to hell in a handbasket. Um, and that's not necessarily, I'm not advocating that you should let your customer service go to hell in a handbasket, but I think uh, in every business, every business, including very big businesses, but certainly every Pilates business, there are always things that are not the way you want them to be. Like your website is not the way you want it. Your social media is not the way you want it. The studio is not set up the way you want it. Your you know, teachers aren't trained the way you want them. Your you know, admin processes aren't the way you want Like nothing's the way you want it. Everything's not perfect. And um, the notion that everything or even anything <laughs> should be perfect is, uh, I think, a massive uh, uh, blocker because it means that you think, like you look at your website, like, oh, I really should do something about that. Nah. You shouldn't just let it be shit, you know, like <laughs> let it have the design, the five year outdated design, you know, send that email out with a typo in it. Um, you know, like let uh, the, the flip of that in practical terms is you've got this massive to-do list. Yeah. Right. You've got this. So your website, you've got all these things you want to do. Customers, there's this huge to-do list that you, beat yourself out, you carry around like a yeah. you like, know, like, like you an should albatross. get to the end of it someday. Yeah, that's right. And even I, though I, even though in the last forty years you never have. But somehow someday you will. So the thing the skill that that I think we're talking about is no, is it a skill? The filter. The filter it's, it's learning to look at that morass of things that you should do and work out the ones that will move you towards the things that you want, which then means you've got to know what you want. Right. And it's too, it's far too easy, and I'm, I'm saying this from lived experience, to get stuck in the weeds and you think that the thing that you need slash want that is the thing that you're working on, but you don't lift up your gaze and look out and go, where does that take me? Is it moving in the direction that I've decided I want to move in? Have I, in fact, decided the direction I want to move in? Right. So, yeah, if we take a step back, exactly like you say, it's about what's important. And so it's not about letting everything go to hell in a handbasket. It's about of the thousand and one things that you could do, should do, would want to do, would be great to do, people have suggested that you do, that you think that's a really good idea. Of the thousand and one things in that category, you can probably do three of them uh, well, or you can probably do 10 of them really badly. Or you can half complete 25 of them. 
you know, those are your options. <laughs> you know, there is no option that includes doing all Do of the all things of them. and getting to the end of the list and going, ah, oh, done. You know, that's not on the menu. That menu is grayed out. So, uh, so really the, the, the choice, the actual choice we have lies between doing a very small number of things well or some larger number of things commensurately less well. You know, so the larger the number of things we do, the less well we do each thing. And so we, you know, what, and even if we did half complete 25 things, right, out of a thousand and one things, that is virtually nothing, right? So we half completed a quarter of, you know, like two point, like what is it? Two point zero, zero, two, five. Yeah. Like, so, so. Like there is no way you will ever, ever, ever get to the bottom of your to-do list. It's not a thing. It's physically impossible, right? You just, you can think of things to do at about a hundred times the speed that you can actually do the things, right? And you can, your monkey brain can come up with a hundred ideas in the time it'll take you to execute one of those ideas, even more than a hundred ideas. So it's just not going to happen. The laws of physics are against you. So doing the ticking off everything off your list is literally not an option. So we just have to choose between the options that we do have, which is like, okay, we could do one or two or three things really well, or five things, not very well, or 10 things terribly or 25 things partially, you know, those are our options. And obviously doing three or two or one things really well, if you choose the right things, will give you more satisfaction, more meaning, more income, more impact, more, time or, you know, all of those peace, you know, all of those things. So the, 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 the trick, if it's a trick, the, well, the true secret is not the right, I guess the right question. Okay. The right question is not how do I tick all the things off my list? The question is how do, given that I can't tick off 99.9% of the things on my list, how do I choose the 0.1% that I will tick off? How do I choose which things I will do? That is the right question. So how do you choose? Well, uh, that, that's, the, that's the question, isn't it? Uh, my, my, what I, yeah, again, the d standard disclaimer, no expert on this, still learning. All right, well, well let's, all right, so before, before you share your answer, let's leave our the Pilates stratosphere in just a moment of suspense, okay? Because, you know, neither of us is anywhere near perfect on this uh, or any other aspect of existence. But, you know, let's maybe give a little list of the things that we, you each, you and I, you know, choose not to do. <laughs> to let, you know, what's our equivalent of the stein on the door that says, sorry, we don't do customer service? <laughs> um, yeah, so what are some of the, like, for me, uh, I, I mean, I've got a, um, I hate our website. You know, when I look at our website, which I do every day because I'm always working on it, I, I look, I go, oh, this design is so 1995 or so 2005, you know. I'm like, oh my God, we need a new website. It needs to be better colors. It needs to be cleaner. It needs to be simpler. It needs to have better images. It needs blah, blah, blah. But it's like, I know that if we spent, $50,000 getting our website rebuilt and six months and took up, you know, hundreds of hours of time in our team to consult and agree and blah, blah, blah. 
the net benefit to our business be approximately zero. You know, like it would just be fifty thousand dollars. We might as well just like put it in the sink and set fire to it. You know, that fifty thousand dollars going. So I just like I just had to grind my teeth and and let it go. Well, I guess grinding my teeth and letting it go are not the same thing, but I just have to acknowledge, <laughs> I have to live with, I have to live with the yeah. pain, <laughs> and acknowledge it's like okay, no, our website's shit, but who cares? Doesn't matter. That's not important because there are other things that we we do that are more important that aren't shit <laughs> because they are, they're the actual things that make a difference to people. You know. So yeah, what's 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 an example for you? Well, um, before I go to me, I'm going to double click on what you're saying. So I'm not. I, I'm going to ask you the question about. So the website's not important, but it could be important if your value, the, the value you allocated to it, was the experience of the person that looks at your website, and you could be drawn into that. Like that. That's. I guess what I'm thinking about is how. So that the bigger question is, because you said, and I think you're absolutely right, is that the real question is, how do you decide what things to focus on? And when you describe the website, you know, just to make explicit what I heard is you shared the fact that you're running a business that requires revenue and has costs. And so, and and what you shared in that is that you there isn't the current you don't currently have $50,000 in the business to spend on improving the website never so will. that people never will and never will so that people have the experience of the website that your monkey mind thinks would be the optimal experience if i had $50,000 i wouldn't spend it on that i would spend it on a staff christmas party i would uh, hire a person i would there's like a thousand things i would spend 50 $50,000 on before i would rebuild the website Right. So that what it takes us to is what what you value enough to put time and resources towards. Yeah. Well, it comes down to stuff like, like you said. Like, what's important here, right? And so, like, why 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 have a website? What's a website for? You know, what's it's for a business, okay? So, why be in business? What's the point of being in business? What are we trying to achieve? Right. We're trying to have an impact on people, and in our particular case, at Breathe Education, we help. We use science-based tools to help Pilates instructors become better, happier, and more financially successful. And that's what we're doing right now, okay, to the best of our ability. Uh, and so, you know, if we unpack that and sort of double-click on it, it's like, right, well, we have to be as helpful as we can. You know, we have to give people the best possible tools that we can give them, okay? So that's like the, the product delivery, the service, the delivery, okay? But then there's also, well, there has to be people that we can help, you know? So if we've just got this big pile of awesome tools, but no one gives a shit, you know, like we're not helping people. <laughs> so we have to get people and give them the tools, you know, like, so that we have to get the people and then we have to have the great tools and we have to give them the tools and show them how to use them and then everyone's happy, right? And of course, then we have to uh, make money while we do that because otherwise, like, all our staff don't work for free and our Zoom account's not free and our recording equipment's not free and all the insurance is not free and so we have to pay all those bills. So we have to get paid for that. So we have to provide something that people value enough to give us money for it. So there are, you know, multiple parts to that. Right. So in order to get the people and create amazing tools and do it in a way that provides enough value that people are happy to pay us for it, okay, you know, what are the most important components of that, you know? And, and, and having a great website turns out not to be one of them. 
Right, but having a website is one of them because otherwise people don't have somewhere to come and find out about us. Right, so the difference between having no website and having a website, massive, right? The difference (laughs) between having having a 15-year-old website that you fucking hate versus having a, you know, U-Butte website designed with the, you know, by the design firm with consultation and mood boards and all of the rest of it, 0.1%. Mm-hmm. You know, like it, you, you're well past the point of diminishing returns once you've got a website. Again, so what you just talked through is a process that's you've learned the hard way. Yes. And, but, but that is, but that's the process. What is the thing that I, what's the mission of the thing that I'm doing? And in this case, it's breathe education. So the mission is as you described. And then is what I'm doing with my time and money at the moment in service of that mission? Yeah. At so, its optimal possible way. Right. And so there are certain specific pages within the website, like we've probably got a couple of hundred pages in our website. There are like probably half a dozen of those pages that we tweak constantly, like every day. We change the headline, we change the font, we change the image, you know, and we're split testing stuff constantly, but only on very specific pages. So basically when you go to Google and you type in, how do I become a Pilates instructor? And you see one of our ads and you land on a website, the page you land on, there's always two versions of that page. You know, one with a headline in red and one with a headline in black or one with an image, one with a slightly different image or whatever it might be. And we measure, you know, how many people, you know, click on the the link or whatever on each page. And we, the, so we're split testing. And so we're constantly tweaking certain pages but then, like the about us page, the home page, the whatever. It's like we haven't opened. If you open up that browser on the <laughs> in Chrome, it's like just you know moths and cobwebs fly out because <laughs> the page hasn't been updated since nineteen seventy seven or something. So yeah, so it's like. And would I like those pages to be updated? Yes, I would love them to be up to date. You know, but it, you know, if we update them, there's an opportunity cost that we would means we can't do there's something else that we have to not do in order to spend time and money doing that and everything else we're doing is more important more valuable to achieve the results we want to achieve than doing those things you know than updating the about us page for example or changing the theme on our website to make the colors less pink because pink was a 2005 color you know <laughs> so what we've drifted into like that that sort of conversation becomes a bit about like decision making in business etc but like i that But if we pull the the camera back, what we're talking about is how do you create more time in your week? And we've settled on that one of the fundamental questions is what are the things that you will do with the finite time that you've got? And then what we've, the, the, the rabbit hole that we just went down was around, well, it's easy enough to say you've got to choose the important things, but then choosing the important things, in order to choose the important things, you've got to know what you what you're doing in a business, like you said, the, if you don't have money to run the business, there's no business. So you, you, you know, it simmers down to, is there more money coming in than going out? Cause if you, the answer is no, you've got a major problem. So that's kind of like fun rule, rule one. So that maybe the exploration is if we've, what's, what's it look like when a person, a Pilates instructor feels like they haven't got enough time, right? Well, you've got to work out, what your fundamental mission or goal or purpose is. And if you're doing stuff that's not in service of that, that's the thing you should start saying mm. no to. 
Mm. And or you've got to find a more efficient way to do it so that you can not it cannot take up so much time. Right. And so the process and with it, the, I think maybe the reason that we keep sort of flipping back to business is it's easy to do that because basically, first of all, what's the business trying to achieve? What's the product or service that it's exchanging for value? The, the, what's the value exchange? And if you're doing it successfully, then you're in profit and you can continue to do it. Like that's kind of the fundamental. If you're not in profit, you've got a problem. What does that look like for a person? Maybe that's how we end up with the work-life balance conversation where it's like mm -hmm. the balance is it's my profit, right? Yeah. Well, I think for a, for a for a person, well, sorry, just to stay with the just to to stay with that. Cause I don't I don't want to. This isn't about websites and whatever, uh, but just to kind of uh, tie a bow around that or conclude that um, sort of metaphor. Uh, well, you know, it, if I think you know something that we're with, uh, we're talking about a lot in the business at the moment is identifying the biggest constraint, and it's just another way of thinking about what's the most important thing here. What's the one or two or three things that we will do instead of all the 997 things we won't do. But it's like, what's the biggest constraint to achieving whatever it is that you want to achieve? And so if our goal in having a website, like why do you have a website? Well, we have a website so that our customers can find us and then you know learn about our services and decide to use our services, which services they want to use, right? So, right, so what's the biggest constraint to that process, right? Well, if, if someone lands on our website and doesn't like what they see, they don't use our services, right? So them landing on the website and, and find, liking what they see is the biggest constraint. So, right, so where do they land, right? Well, when they click on our Google ad, they go to a very specific page, which the Google ad links to, right? It's called a landing page. It's like, hey, you just clicked on this Google ad. Here's the thing that you're interested in. So, you know, so, so having a, quote, good website for us looks like having that page optimized and all the rest of it can go to hell in a handbasket. Right, because the person who clicked on the Google ad doesn't see any of the other pages; <laughs> they just land on that page, and it's like so. If we optimize that page and everything else is terrible, it doesn't matter, right? So if we take all of the time we would have spent fixing the about us page and the this page and the that page, and all we do is just like we obsess over getting that landing page, you know, exactly the way that people that that resonates with people the most, that is where our you know, return on investment comes into the time and money and impact that we have with our clients. So I think if we if we if we switch to thinking about an example for any uh, for a, a Pilates instructor, yeah, and you said like, well, you have to know what your goal or your mission or your purpose is, and maybe some people struggle with that, right? And so like, you know, we've done a lot of work to come up with we use science based tools to help Pilates instructors become better, happier, more financially successful. I mean, that just didn't like you know pop into our head one time. Um, so this is a process that, you know, you might need to think about a lot to, and, and, and iterate on a whole bunch of times before you come to something that's like, yes, that's it. But it do, you don't even have to have some kind of like higher purpose with a capital H, capital P. It can just be, hey, I want to, I want to, you know, have a comfortable, I want to be comfortable financially. I want to spend time with my family. You know, I want to have a great impact on my clients, you know, whatever, whatever's important to you. Right, I want to master my craft. You know, whatever whatever's important to you, and I would I would encourage you to you know, quantify that. Okay, so when you say be comfortable financially, what does that mean? How many dollars per year does that mean to you? Right, and there's no right answer, but choose a number. I want to spend time with my family. Well, how much time do you want to spend with your family? What time? Which times do you want to spend? With, like, be specific about it, and then say, okay, well, what's if I want to earn? I don't know, 
$100,000 a year. Well, what's the biggest constraint to me earning $100,000 a year? That's what you got to work on. If I want to spend 20 hours a week with my family and I want to be there after school when my kids come home, well, what's the biggest constraint to me doing that right now? You know, if I want to master my craft and really feel like I know my shit, okay, well, what's the biggest constraint to that right now? You know, why don't you feel you know your shit right now? You know, what's missing? Like, identify the the biggest single, you know, rock that is in your way of achieving whatever it is that you want to achieve. That's what you focus on. That is your landing page. And everything else is the About Us page. You know, and if it's the kids thing, right, maybe you want to be home from school to, you know, after school when your kids come home, you want to give them something to eat, hang out, play with them. Maybe that's your best quality time with your kids. Well, what's the biggest constraint? Maybe it's this one client or this one class that you teach that you can't find anyone to to take over, right, that is stopping you from being there with your kids at that particular time, right? So the question then becomes much more targeted and specific, right? So it's like, Right, we've we've niched it right down from how do I spend more time with my kids, right, to how do I ditch that 3 p.m. class on a Wednesday, right? And there's an answer to that question. Like, that is a question that has a, you know, tactical answer. Whereas how do I spend more time with my kids is very nebulous. It's, it, you know, it's like how do you answer that question? How well, how do I spend time? more time with my kids is another way of saying I wish I had more time. Right. It, it's it's not it's not a useful question. It's not precise enough to be useful. Whereas when you say, you know, when you identify, it's like, oh, well, when I say spend more time with my kids, what I mean is I want to be there when they arrive home from school. Okay, well, what's the thing that's stopping me from doing that? Ah, oh, it's the class I teach at 3 p.m. that I can't find anyone else to cover for or take over or whatever, or it's that one client that can't come at any other time or whatever it is, okay? Well, then the question becomes very specific. It's like, how do I get rid of that scenario? Right? How do I ditch that class, hand off that class, get rid of that client, change the time, you know, whatever it is, and then you can generate some solutions and go, okay, well, great, I've generated five solutions, let's choose that one, bam. So you, then you focus your attention on what's actually going to make a difference. So uh, I think there are, so that's 80-20, right? Well, biggest constraint or prioritization. Uh, and interestingly, the word to prioritize, prior, means before, right? So you literally, the things that you prioritize, you literally do them first, right? Um, which I think is really, like, when I realized that, I'm like, oh, fuck, that really makes so much sense. Because if you leave the most important, quote, most important thing till last, guess what, you know, guess what falls to the bottom of your list? So, yeah, so literally do them first. So that's the the priority, the prioritization side, letting shit slide. Um, the about us pages of the world. Um, and then... That, that helps, I've found helps with that is, it's, it's just saying priority in another way. But the thing that's the one before the zero. So uh, there are, when we talk in the diploma, we talk about the whole person framework, your book, right? Therapeutic alliance, physical uh, physical capacity, and psychological resilience. You mean the the uh, surprisingly simple three part framework that will enable you to confidently rehabilitate literally any client using Pilates? 
That's the one. Well that's said. available for $4.99 through a link in the show notes. <laughs> yeah, that's the one. That's condensed from a synthesis of over 6,000 uh, research papers. I think that's still the one. That the yeah. same information that we teach in our 12-month, 10,000 US dollar diploma of clinical Pilates. That's the one. For under $5. For less than $5. Crazy. Madness. Uh, when we... When we, when we, when people are getting their head around the importance of a therapeutic alliance, uh, we often talk about that it's the one before the zero. So people say, you know, shouldn't I do this in the first session? It's like, no, the priority is that you build a therapeutic alliance because if you don't have a therapeutic alliance, your client's not coming back. You won't right? have a so second session. <laughs> you won't have a second session. So don't worry about what you're doing in the session unless it's the thing that will build a therapeutic alliance, which will bring the client back for a second session. Right. So it's, it's the one before the zero. Because if you do the other one first, zero followed by one is still zero. But one followed by zero is 10. Right, right. And so of all of the things that you could do in the first session, ensuring that they come back for a second session is the most important. That's the thing that you do, right? And then what do you do to ensure someone comes back? You listen to them, you address what they're talking about, you know, you do all the things that that do that. But there's no point going, okay, go, you know, do the things that aren't going to do that. They're not the things. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and that's... Right. So we focus, we like, so I think that's such a great example. So we think about, okay, someone's here for their session, their first session, you know, what are the most important things? Oh, well, we want them to get stronger, more flexible. We want them, you know, relieve their pain, get more function, all of those things. Okay. So what do we do? Oh, we do this exercise and this exercise. But if we back up and like you say, zoom the camera out a bit and think, okay, well, if the ultimate goal is to get this person stronger, more flexible and recover from their injury. Okay. Thing number one is they have to do the Pilates, right? If they don't do the Pilates, the Pilates doesn't work. So, you know, do not pass go, do not collect $200 until they do the thing. Now, whether they do the thing well or do the, the right exercises or like all of that is a bonus, right? Because if they don't do the thing, you get zero out of a hundred. So, the number one constraint to them achieving their outcome is them not doing it. So you've got to solve for that before you solve for anything else. Yeah, 100%. All right. So I think we've addressed the the 80-20 thing. Let's just uh, talk about a couple of, I guess, let's put them in the category of life hacks. One weird trick to get rid of belly fat. Um... Uh, <laughs> um, uh, you know, just like, okay, what are some things like actual, so what we've really talked about at the moment is actually not time optimization or management so much as just like choosing like more priorities. Priorities. Right? Yeah. What's um, the priority and how so, to. So, but there are some actual, you know, strategies that will, in, that enable you to get more done in less time. Right. So there is up to a point you can get more done, right? There are, there are some people that are more productive than other people. And so the people who are more productive tend to do certain things you know, differently. And so we're talking off air before we uh, today, and you mentioned a couple of those things that you do. Uh, and so, yeah, what are, the, what are the things that work for you to get more done, more of the right things done? More of the right things done? Yeah, I, well, I have a process that I go through it's not super strict, like it's not on a fixed schedule, um, but it 
semi-regular intervals in my life, I do a, a life audit. Like I look at what I'm doing with my time, uh, what I'm doing with my money, what I'm doing with my, well, what I'm doing with my time and whether I'm, and, and, and where I'm doing it. So how much am I working and when in the day am I working and what is it that I think I'm achieving by doing that? And I go back and look at the previous iteration of that and I look at what I had set out to achieve. Um, and I've always set goals and I've, I would say for 99% of my life so far, I've been really shit at it and I'm getting incrementally better at it. Um, but, but I do have goals that I work towards and, uh, so in this little process that I run, I look at the goals that I had, I see how I'm going towards them. Sometimes I realize, wow, I just completely, that no longer matters to me. I just throw it out. Or I realize, oh, that's still really important to me, but I'm not really working on it. So how do I, you know, recalibrate so that I am working towards that? Um, and so basically what I do is I look at how my life is, I compare that with what I feel like I would like, whether that's be feelings or activities or outcomes and then I look at the space in between and I kind of go, well, what's the difference between what I'm doing now and, and achieving that? And I come up with a bunch of things that might do it. And then I, I categorize, I, 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 I don't want to say prioritize because that's, we've just talked about that. I, I put them in, I guess like a sequence of what's important and look at what, which ones. And then I do prioritize. Then I go, okay, what are the things that I, if I do that, it will achieve multiples below that. And it, it, it sort of comes back to pretty similar stuff that, you know, I'd have to have time for physical exercise because if I don't exercise regularly, I go crazy. My partner hates me and I can't concentrate. So even if it feels like I'm using some of the best time of the day to exercise, I have to do that because then it's trickle down effect is too great. Um, I know that I'm most effective between about 6am and midday. Before 6am I can do it, but it tends to have an effect on like, later in the day. After midday, I'm just on a sliding scale to shit. Like mm, it's just yeah, like, same. you know. So and that's why we're recording this podcast in the morning. In the morning. So, yeah, I, I know I have that optimal time and I try to do the things that need the most creativity, the most of what I'm, the most, the things that I know, like, so, for example, what breathe, what, what my job at Breathe requires is to be an educational designer. You know, I need to think about creating educational experiences for the students, reflecting on that, making them better always. I've got to do that at my prime time. So I do all of that work between 6 a.m. and 10 a.m. And that means saying no to meetings or not being at things. That's what I have to do. Because if if I do do something else, it's costing me that value time. Right. Um, and it used to be the same thing with my Pilates instruction. I knew that the best work I was doing was in the morning sessions. But I did that for long enough. Now I can teach a really good Pilates class in the evening because I spent like freaking seven years teaching 40, 50 hours a week. So now I've got a machine in my head that allows me to teach a good class when I'm not at my optimal right. functioning rate. Right. 
I don't feel like I'm answering your question very yeah, well. Yeah, no, I think I think you're doing great. Uh, so uh, there are a few things there. So the first one is like I think for for most of us we have some time of day for you know for you and me Heath that's in the morning for other people it's in the evening you know different people are different but whatever time of day for you is the most where you're most alert most creative most able to concentrate and do your best work like block that time out and make it sacred. So if you do best work in the evening, don't sit down in front of Netflix in the evening. Do your best work in the evening. You know, if you want to Netflix it, do do it at your least creative, you know, time of day. Um, so, and I think there are no rules around that. You know, everyone's different. Um, but yeah, find your best time of day. Uh, and then, you know, choose the, the, the tasks that you can do more on sort of autopilot for the other times of day. So I'm saying I do my best creative work in the mornings. Um, and so I get up super early and I do, you know, I block, work for a block of time, uninterrupted, no meetings, no calls, no Slack, no, you know, all the rest of it. Uh, and then, you know, later in the afternoon, I do my calls, I do my, my response to social media DMs, I do my post, you know, like Slack communication, all of that stuff that is like, doesn't need your highest, best, most creative, concentrated in the zone, you know, self. Uh, and then, you know, by like six in the evening, I'm no good to anyone apart from like, you know, helping my daughter with some homework and reading a book or whatever, you know, it's like, and by 7.30, I can't even keep my eyes open, so I go to bed. So, yeah, so so knowing what time of day you're most, you're most effective for each different kind of task. And I can be really effective in the afternoon at kind of repetitive stuff like editing websites or, you know, stuff like that. But. I can't like create a lecture in the afternoon or I could, but it'd be a shit one, you know? <laughs> um, and I'd certainly don't do my best podcast recordings. Like if dear listener, if there, if like, if you think about your least favorite episodes of this podcast, they'll probably recorded, you know, in the afternoon. <laughs> um, uh, yeah. So there's, there's that. Um, I, I think, uh, so I kind of went off, I went off into the weeds a little bit because you asked me to talk about that process and I, I guess I was talking about my personal process of identifying what's important mm -hmm. and then that that informs what I do with uh -huh. my time uh -huh. uh, and that that's an iterative process. So uh -huh. I, I revisit it and I, I go, did I achieve that thing that I was trying to achieve? Is it reflected in my my life now? Do I feel that way? Have I done that thing? Have I been spending that time doing those things or with those people? And then I adjust my priorities to keep moving towards that. I think uh, I think we're just about done, but I think I want to do want to share just for me something that I find uh, has you know I guess two things that have maximised my productivity, and I think one of my strengths. I've got plenty of weaknesses, but one of my strengths is. I can work very quickly and get a lot done in a short period of time. Uh, and I think that the two two things that I think are pivotal to that are number one, blocking big chunks of time where you literally have no distractions. Like I always have my phone on silent, on do not disturb. Like I miss 99% of my phone calls. Next text, I just don't. I've turned off all notifications on all my devices like, no, yeah, you know, yeah. there could be a nuclear Armageddon and I wouldn't know until I saw the mushroom cloud because I just don't get notifications. Everything's always turned off. Uh, and when I am working, like when I am, uh, you know, creating something like writing a lecture or 
um, you know, creating a video or writing a researching a podcast episode or whatever. It's like I I don't have Slack open. I don't have messages open. I never check my emails. I don't listen to my phone. Everything is turned off, and I just think about that thing. And I might go and listen to some music or whatever to just sort of like get in a creative space. But I'd never. I just I just I avoid distractions at all costs. And and the cost of that is people can't reach me and people can't get answers when they want them. And it's like, but I don't know. Life seems to go on, and I get so, so much more done of such a higher standard. Uh, and so that's one thing. And the second thing is, and it's painful initially to start because people can't catch you when they want to catch you, and you miss text messages saying, "Oh, your dry cleaning's ready to pick up," and it's like, "Ah, oh, damn it! Now it's the shop's closed, and I can't." You know, it's like so. There are, there are inconveniences that come along with that, but it's like, well, the the upside is so massive. You get so much more done, like ten times more than you do otherwise. Uh, and the second thing is, uh, and we've even adopted that on a company-wide scale. So we've now switched all of our internal meetings at Breathe Education to Tuesdays between 6 a.m. and midday, right, uh, Australian time. So basically, we don't have meetings outside of that time. Like, so four and a half days a week, no meetings. So awesome. Like, you just get to work all day. Like, you get to do important you know, shit all day. So, and that, you know, that requires a lot of discipline because we have got people in different time zones and different childcare schedules and, and whatever. And so it's like, it's inconvenient. Some people have to get up at 4am. Some people have to go to bed at 10pm in order to make that happen. But the benefit is we have to work, actually do productive work the rest of the time. So that's awesome. The second thing is uh, for me that I find really works is having the right tools. So when I'm uh, you know, whenever I, and you know, maybe it's just a technology fetish that I have and doesn't really do anything, but I believe it works, uh, is I just, I have the right tools. So I have like, when we, re- we, we go to record this podcast, right. I have a studio completely set up, you know, camera, lights, audio, video, recording, everything set up, you know, triple backups of everything. So it doesn't matter how many things fail. It's, we're still going to record it. And it's all set up and I literally have to turn on like two buttons and I'm ready to go. And so it's all set up and it just takes the, takes so much friction out of the process of recording something, just makes it much easier to do it, which means you're more likely to do it. And when you do do it, you're not fucking around trying to get the technology to work for half an hour beforehand, getting out of your creative headspace. All you're thinking about is what are we going to talk about? What's What are the points we want to raise? How are we going to communicate this in an effective way? You're not thinking about which freaking button do I press and how do I get the camera to focus and, and all those other boring things. So having the right tools, like having the right, you know, website, the right, not not our business website, I mean like the right um, online tools, like, you know, dictionaries and, and thesauruses and spell checkers and, you know, Photoshop tools and whatever, like whatever the things are that make, if like, just tools to make your job easier. Like if you spend a thousand dollars on a tool and it saves you three hours a week, it's like that is money so well spent. Um, I mean, I bought a more expensive computer because it goes faster and I don't have to wait for the spinning wheel to go around, you know, till the website updates or whatever. So yeah. So, and you know, I know not all of us have a thousand dollars to spend on a fancy computer or whatever, but there are, there are, tools that do the job better and most of them are pretty cheap these most of them are app, apps these days you know like a teleprompter you can get a teleprompter app for your phone right 
So you can type out whatever it is you want to say to your video, like on your computer, copy and paste it to the teleprompter app on your phone, record it on your phone, reading it while you're, you know, while you're saying like, that's awesome. That makes life easier. Instead of doing like 99 takes, right? <laughs> you spend five minutes typing it out and 60 seconds recording it, then you're done. Yeah. So using tools. Is there anything else you want to add? Well, we set out to talk about how how to create how to create more time or how to stop feeling like you don't have enough time. And we said that letting the fires burn slash what's the 20% that gives you 80% of results, the 80-20 rule, prioritization, the one before the zeros, which isn't all of that's a way of saying decide what the important things to do are yeah. and do them, the things with the greatest trickle-down effect to all of the other things you want to achieve. Tim Ferriss asked the question, what's the one thing, and you reminded me of this before where you said something very similar, what's the one thing that if I do it first and do it well will make all the other things irrelevant or easier? I suppose the last thing I, what I was trying to describe about my process, I didn't feel like I did a particularly good job of it, is that I've found that making time to reflect on that mm-hmm. and carving it out and being concrete and systematic about it, like keeping a diary for a week of what you do with your time. And there are apps to do that that make it, you know, inexcusably easy. So it's actually, you can't go, ah, I forgot to write it down. It's like, no, you didn't. You just chose not to write it down. That's me talking to myself. Right. So you take, you audit your time for a week. Then you can see what you're doing with your time. That's a really powerful mechanism to go, okay, well, I want more time in my week, but look at that. I did nine hours on social medias. Do I need to do nine hours on social media? And when am I doing it? You know, so that auditing process and reflecting on what's important and then looking at the way those two things sort of go together. Like, am I doing things that create more meaning in my life? And am I doing enough of them or could I do more of them? And if if so, where do I put it? And I know, I know for you this was something that you came to and certainly me, like, oh, if I get up earlier... I've got more valuable hours in my day so that I created more time in my life by being someone that gets up earlier, you know, which is, that's not to say everyone should do that, but that's worked for me. Yes. Same. I mean, I, I noticed that the, the, the five hours between dinner and bed were completely unproductive. I was just sitting on the sofa watching TV or whatever. And so it's like, okay, well, what if I went to bed four and a half hours earlier, got up four and a half hours earlier and used those four and a half hours to do deep work? Bam. All of a sudden, you know, 10 times as much work done in a week. And and to acknowledge that, that that's not everyone, like Adam McAtee, who we work with, he's the other end. He's It works really well for us because he and I can be communicating. It's early for me and it's like midnight for him, but he's on fire. He's like, hey, I've got this idea. I was like, whoa, if that was me at midnight, I'd be asleep. Like I'd be eyes open, brain asleep. Yeah. Yeah. Same. Well, good talk. I hope our listener found this helpful. Thanks, Raph. Thanks, Eve. After two exercise science degrees and over a decade and a half of reading research daily, I've condensed all the current science on rehab into a program called the Clinical Exercise Specialist 
rehabilitation. Inside the program, I'll teach you to do three things. One, deeply understand how the body works. Two, confidently and expertly rehab literally any client. And three, get results for your clients. So ultimately, your clients tell their friends and you become known as the go-to expert in your area. This program is completely unlike any education you've done before, even if you've studied with us before, because of the way we've built the learning design. It's an online, flexible, skill-based learning program, which means you keep doing the skills under supervision until you're good at them. It's more of a mentorship model than a traditional course model. So rather than rushing through the content and having sort of one go at everything, you actually just practice live and we give you feedback and guidance and we dialogue and explore concepts together until you're highly skilled and confident. We just keep working the material until you get it. It's not rushed at all. It's not about ticking off the content. It's about engaging, practicing and applying it until you own it. This is a life-changing program, not some weekend certification. I've put my heart and soul into building this, and I can't wait to share it with you and help you discover your genius for anatomy and rehab. Now, because of the highly interactive nature of this program, we're only taking on 12 students worldwide. The program starts on March the 1st, and the first 12 qualified people to apply will be allowed to enroll. So if you're interested in learning more, click the link in the show notes and download the course guide or go to breathe-education.com and click on the clinical certification menu in our link in the top menu. That's breathe-education.com and click on the clinical certification link in the top menu.